Psalm 19, reading verses 1 to 14. Uh, To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And there, the holy and errant Word of God, may He bring His blessing as we hear it read. It seems like a very disjointed psalm when you read it as he starts to talk about uh, how God uh, makes his glory known in all of creation and how creation speaks forth the knowledge and the wisdom of God, even the power of God, the word of creation going out. And, and that revelation that creation gives is perfect in and of what it is supposed to do. We must never look and think that creation is insufficient to reveal to people who God is in His power, in His wisdom, in His glory. It has been uh, set so that all of creation speaks those divine truths. Uh, But we realize it is insufficient to bring us to that knowledge of of who God is in all of His glory. It is insufficient to bring us to that knowledge of who we are as sinners and what we need in order to be reconciled with the One that has created us. And as much as David focuses on the glory of God in creation, he brings us to the issue of God's Word and all of the ways in which God's Word meets us as law and testimony, as statutes and commandments, as fear and in judgments to show and to teach to us who God is in all His holiness and who we are as sinners and and the necessity of God's Word as that special revelation to come and minister to us in those ways. Uh, 
And as He extols the, the precious nature and, and how we are to receive God's Word, He comes and He sees Himself. What a sinner I am. <laughs> how much I fall short. My need of God's grace and God's care and keeping. And, and how those things mentioned in verses 12 to 14 actually come and meet, to, meet us and flow from God's Word to help build us up in, in those ways of holiness and truth. Now that's, that's an overview of Psalm 19 and what we're looking at it in respect of the subject of this series and that is how God comes with the means of grace to bring forth the benefits of Christ's salvation in our lives. The means of grace, those ordinances that God has established to build us up in the faith. And those means of grace or those ordinances that are before us, but which, let's admit it, once we hear what they are, we struggle to know how to use them or to take them up in our lives in such a way that the benefits of Christ's salvation come and meet us. And that is why we're going through this city, this series to, to understand the, the nature of these ordinances and how God uses them. When we engage ourselves in them, how God uses them to bring to us the benefits of Christ's salvation. What are the ordinances? And if you have uh, in your chairs the sheet of paper with the larger catechism, question number 155, uh, it's focused on the word. We're going to uh, keep these uh, uh, before us in, and we're going to be going through the larger catechism in respect of this series. And uh, we have, uh, Allison's worked hard to find uh, the questions written out in both Korean and Spanish. And uh, we've got a little bit of approval from both Young O and Patty as to their accuracy. Uh, it's good to have that. But, but this is how these, these questions come and deal with the very issue of what the ordinances are. And the ordinances, that, just to understand that word, what is an ordinance? An ordinance are the, the outward, not, not what the Spirit is doing within us but the, what we are tangibly given by God for us to use. They are the outward and ordinary tools, and that's my word, tools, that the Lord Jesus uses effectually, that is, He uses them in a very effective way to work His saving grace in our lives. The outward and ordinary tools that the Lord Jesus uses effectually to work His saving grace into our lives. We understand salvation and faith and repentance where we embrace His salvation. But His saving grace is purposed to work in us all the glories and benefits of that salvation. And there are Three primary ordinances. Three primary things that the Lord Jesus has specifically prescribed. And, and we, I want to enforce that understanding. This is what Christ has commanded us to use. 
He has prescribed. He has also instituted them. He has said, this is what I have established as as the ordinances of the church and the primary ones. There's three of them. And He has given to be used by us. And those three ordinances are His Word read and preached. Uh, We can gain from reading the Word, but as we're going to see this evening, more by the preaching of the Word the knowledge and wisdom of our God. And and there we know and see that prescription, institution, and that giving by the Lord to us from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You know, all of God's Word is inspired or God-breathed. And and it is profitable for the man of God to, to grow in righteousness and doing those things that bring pleasure to God. 2 Timothy 3, we know that verse. And His sacraments, secondly. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Again, prescribed, instituted, and given. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, you know, to go into all the world and and, uh, preaching the Gospel message so that people come to faith in Christ. And, And what does He say there? And He says you're to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The issue of baptism becoming that sign and seal of God's promises to us. Where His name is set upon us and God says, you are now mine. And we're to to take that up. And as well, the Lord's Supper. You read in 1 Corinthians 11.23, Paul says, that which the Lord has given to me, I give to you. And the Lord is the one who instituted the Lord's Supper. Not simply to be a memorial, but to be that sign and seal of His covenant of grace to you, which He uses to build us up in His saving mercies. Those are things with the, with the sacraments that most Christians struggle to understand. How are they used? But they're, they're used by God Himself in our lives as we exercise faith in them. And the last being prayer. We hear those words from Matthew 6. When you pray, say. (laughs) But again, it's a struggle for us. I I encounter this all the time as a pastor, and I've encountered it here. Pastor, I really struggle to pray. I know you do. (laughs) We all do. It's a hard thing to pray. I especially struggle to pray around other people. And yet, when you think about the Lord's Prayer, I'm just setting you up for where this series is going here with, these, with, these, with this introduction. But when you think about prayer, it is primarily corporate. As much as it is to be individual, personal, and private in the confession of our sins before God and seeking God's grace and help to us each day or in our families, it, it, it is corporate prayer that Christ, when He gave the Lord's Prayer, is focused on us learning to pray as a congregation. And His promise in each of these ordinances is, I will use them in your lives to build you up in My grace. 
These are the primary ordinances. And this night and next week, we are going to be looking at the ordinance of the Holy Word of God. And and for most of us, we've already memorized key verses that teaches us uh, the importance of God's Word in our lives to build us up. You read Psalm 119, and if you look with most Bibles, if you take out whatever's in the beginning before the actual Genesis begins and right to the end of Revelation, if you are to look at your Bible, you will see that the very heart and center of the Old and New Testament collected together is Psalm 119. And the place that the Word of God is to have in your lives and it becomes the longest psalm we have or the longest chapter, whatever you want to say about it, but it's one where 22 times we are shown how God's Word is there to minister to our lives in all circumstances of our lives. It's a marvelous uh, way in which God has not only ordered the whole of His Word, but even ordered that psalm to teach us how His Word will minister to us in every situation. God is saying, here is the heartbeat of your faith now. You know Psalm 119.11. Your Word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. (laughs) How many of us have done that? And how many of us realize what it means to actually exercise that? Psalm 119, 105. Your word... I always get these two mixed up, but I put it down here so I wouldn't. I usually get the light with the feet and the lamp with the path, but it's the other way around. Your word is a lamp to my feet a light to my path. And what God is saying to us with that verse is, my word will guide you in every matter of faith and life in your entirety of your life. Do we believe that? And do we exercise that? It is one of the great challenges that I've experienced as a pastor in dealing with people when they say, Pastor, what do you think I should do? And, and I will sometimes say to them, well, what has God's Word said to you? Well, I, I don't really know because I've never thought about that. Does it really speak to this situation? And I will say, you can tell I've had this conversation a lot. God's Word speaks to every situation. Not necessarily directly, indirectly, but it will give you principles to guide and make your decisions upon. It will teach you how to have the desires of your heart set upon the desires of God and His will for your life. And so God has made that promise. And and we come here to Psalm 19 and we see in in verse 10 that that very point that what is it that you are to desire more than anything else in this world? What is to be sweeter to your soul than anything that this world can offer? And, And He's chosen the two things that in their time, and we could say in our own generation as well, two things that the heart desires of this world. 
Two things that, that speak about the sweetness, the sweetest thing that this world has to offer in all of its fallenness. Gold and honey. Gold and honey. And, and, and it's something that the heart of every man pursues. The riches of this world and the sweet pleasures of this world. And what does he say here about God's Word? It is to be chief in our desires and the sweetest thing that we taste. And it again comes to that convicting point in meeting us here tonight. Is that true? Is that true? And I, I say this, I say this as one who knows the struggle. How easy it is in our home to sit down and watch a three hour movie. It's hard for me. I usually don't make it past a half hour and I'm asleep. <laughs> but we do that. We think nothing of it. But to spend ten minutes of that day in God's Word. Is one of the great struggles of our life, isn't it? And 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 I'm I'm saying this again. But the conviction needs to be there. But that realization is verse ten, a real truth in my own heart. That I desire God's word more than anything in my day. Is it sweeter to me than the pleasures of this world? Because the thing about God's holy word is this, as I've already noted, its principal subject is not us. It is the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus and His redemptive work in reconciling us to God Himself. And so to delight in the word is to delight in the Lord Jesus Himself. I believe very much that's why John in his Gospel begins with those words, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, eternally begotten of God. He is the wisdom of God established from before creation. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8. And John says this, that as he's writing out the teachings of Christ, as he's writing out in the inspiration of the Spirit, the Word of God, he is saying, get this first and foremost in your minds, the Word is God Himself, the very Son of God. And that Word from eternity, John 1 verse 14 stepped into time and the history of this world, that Word became flesh. And it was necessary for Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the Word from the beginning, to become flesh in order for us to begin to know the truth of who God is and how we can be reconciled to Him only through the work of Jesus. And what God has told us about Jesus, the Word, God has said, you need to grasp this, that all of Scripture is taking you to Him. 
Hebrews 1. God has in various times past spoken to us through prophets. And, and we would add to that, uh, you know, um, the apostles as well too. But what does He say there? In these final days, and this is a long final day, it's so far 2,000 years, but in these final days, God has spoken to us how? By His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory, the expressed image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. God has spoken to us through this One who has become a man, He who bore the the very glory of God as God the Son, the brightness of God's glory, the image of His person. He came in the flesh to deal with our sins and to minister to us until we are found in the presence of God for all eternity. Through Him, God has spoken to us. And that that includes the whole of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. It's all about Jesus. God's holy word is not first a good moral guide to humanity. Now that's, that's a bit more over here on that list. It is first and foremost, who is Jesus? And why did he come? And what has he accomplished for us? And now what does he command us? And that order is important. So that we are looking to God. Now, of a truth, and it's part of the design of Psalm 19, we can know there is a God by looking at creation. We can know a little bit about God by seeing and investigating creation, the power, wisdom, just the glory of someone who would create everything as it has been created, and the power of that Creator to sustain it for as long as it has been sustained. But we need to know God uh, more intimately. We need to know God more properly in His holiness, in His justice, in His wisdom, in His truth, in His goodness. And that is where the necessity of God's Word comes and meets us. But the necessity of having God's Word in our hands is not enough. And and this is where if you look at the catechism question, 155, it makes this, this point about two necessities that we must lay hold of for the Word of God to be a means of grace to our life. And the first is the necessity of the Holy Spirit. It asks the question, how is the Word made effectual to salvation? And before it talks about what God's going to use His Word for, what are the first four words? 
the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit. You can sit down and read things in the Bible and see little things that you might be able in your own knowledge and understanding pick up and say, oh, I see what this means. I will go and do this. But it doesn't mean that it's been necessarily a means of grace to you at that point. If the Holy Spirit is not working effectively with the Word of God in your heart. We cannot know God of ourselves. And God even tells us that in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, at verse 10. God reveals things to us about Himself and what He has accomplished for us. He has revealed them to us through His Spirit. Because what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And we need the Holy Spirit. Even with all that we have in all our years of reading and learning and and experiencing God's Word in in ministry to us, we still have, have yet become aware of all the fullness that this Word has to teach us. We're still uh, like babes coming to God's Word and comprehending God's glory and goodness. It is the Spirit who comes and meets us. And we need the Spirit because in our fallen condition, we are not able of ourselves to comprehend God's Word. I laugh, and I think it's proper, righteous laughter to hear an unbeliever say to me, I've read the Bible and I know what it says. (laughs) Good for you. The arrogance of the heart. I know as Christians we say, I've read the Bible and I'm just beginning to comprehend. That's the majesty of it. But the only reason we, even in our fallen state, we still, as believers, we confess, we still have the corruptions of the sinful nature within us all the days of our lives. We, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us God's Word, to comprehend, to receive it. That's the big thing. How do I receive what God's Word says to me when it first and foremost brings a conviction upon my life? (laughs) I need to receive God's Word and the Spirit helps us to that end. I need to hear. And how many times is it the Lord Jesus Himself said, He who has the Spirit to hear, let him hear. We need the Holy Spirit even in our own hearts to fulfill verse 10, to desire God's Word. The struggle is real. (laughs) And, And that again forms our prayer to God for the help that we need in respect of this. So that we need the Holy Spirit. The second thing that the Catechism brings out is not just the reading but the necessity, and I'll use that word even though it says there especially, the necessity of the preaching of the Word. 
It is not enough for a Christian to say, I can read the Bible on my own and comprehend. You are a better man than the Ethiopian eunuch who had just come from Jerusalem and who in the time of Christ's journey on earth heard all of the things that he had said and done and he is reading the book of Isaiah and he, he is struggling to understand what he is reading. And what we now regard as one of the clearest passages of Scripture that speak about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, we call it Isaiah chapter 52-53. And we look at that and we've had enough teaching and experience to look at that and say, it's speaking of Jesus. But the eunuch looked at it, was reading it and, and he said, who is this talking about? And Philip drew near to him and said to him, Do you understand? Acts chapter 8, verse 30 and following. Do you understand what you are reading? And you know what his response was? How can I unless someone teaches me? And, and that's the emphasis the Lord is bringing to us of the necessity of preaching. And Philip preached Jesus to him. And, and that's the ministry of preaching. Even in its weakness, as it flows from frail and weak men, God has ordained the ordinance of His Word to be preached to us as one of the primary means by which we grow in His grace. You see why preachers emphasize the issues of coming to worship. And sitting together under His Word. It's not because we want an audience. But we have learned and understood this is the way God wants to minister His grace to your soul. And when we see that, then we see the rest of it. And I'm only going to touch on the first one today. But that is how the Spirit, through preaching, makes God's Word effectual to us for salvation. And there you see its effectual goodness meeting us. Psalm uh, 19, verses 7 to 9, really brings it out. Its effectualness. And by effectual, we mean that power to fulfill its purpose. You see, God hasn't just simply given us His Word. He's also given us the power to understand His Word in giving us the Holy Spirit. And in this way, God is intending to exercise an, an amazing goodness of His Word to your souls. You read verses 7 to 9 and, and it, it's very neatly arranged for us where six divine titles are given to God's Word. It is the law. It is the testimony, the statutes, the commandment, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. And six times you see it's, it's of the Lord. Yahweh. 
that infinite, eternal, unchangeable God who comes and seeks to give us an understanding of who He is and what He has done for us. These divine titles teach us the holiness of God's Word as it comes from Him. And and six divine qualities that are attached to those titles. It is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. It is clean. It is true. In other words, God's Word reflects God's glory to us. Isn't that where you read those words? Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true. Isn't that God? It is. And God wants us to know who He is, His divine qualities. And then it brings out the six divine effects that God is purposed to accomplish with His Word. To convert your soul. To make you wise. Because you're simple. I'm included in that. I'm not pointing the finger. But makes us wise. To bring joy to the heart. You know, we, we can find a lot of things to take joy in. But on this particular day, God wants your heart to rejoice in Him. To enlighten the eyes. To endure forever. To exercise righteousness. Justice. The word righteousness in the Old Testament, it's the same, exact same word for justice. That God intends to use His Word in all of these ways to build us up and establish us in His grace. And the thing about the six divine effects of God's Word there, they are all positive in nature of what God wants to do and has designed His Word to do for us. It's not negative. (laughs) It's there to help us. And and you see its effectual goodness in how, uh, as the catechism question says there, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners. And that's where it begins in our lives. God's Word is used by Him to open our souls up to the truth of who God is and who we are as sinners before Him. That great work of opening our eyes. And we need that. How many times when you ask that question of people, tell me who God is. And people begin to speak about what they think of God. Every now and then they'll hit something that's out of the Bible, but the majority of it has got nothing to do with who God has revealed Himself to be. It's all about what I have fashioned in my own heart of who I think God needs to be. And God comes down and He meets the foolish sinner that we are and He says... Here is who I am. And what fear of the Lord that brings. And the neat thing about the fear of the Lord, (laughs) it's clean. 
Because the fear of the Lord begins to work knowledge in our lives. Truth. And it convinces us. As the Catechism says, it's there to convince us. To convince us as sinners to know our need. And and in that light, to convince us as sinners that we are really a miserable people. (laughs) That, That this world has created a fallacy before our eyes eyes of what true life is all about. We can be easily blinded by Satan into thinking that this life is what counts. But how does R.C. Sproul put it? (laughs) Or how did he put it? Right now counts forever. This life that we have is momentary. It's like a breath in the eternity of God. And as sinners, we are met with the constant misery of our sins. And, and, and God's Word comes and, and strives to convince us of our needs so that we should cry out, Lord, save me! Save me from my sins! Save me from that judgment that is upon me! Again, the need of the Spirit, the need of preaching, but even there, the need of that preaching to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. How many of you recall the situation of Paul when he was before King Agrippa? It's in Acts 28. And King Agrippa wanted to hear Paul. He's heard all about Paul and what he's done in the Gentile nations. And and he's heard about Paul and how he's argued with the Jewish elite in Jerusalem. He's also heard about Paul and all of his miracles. And he has an understanding of the way, the Christian uh, doctrine. And so he wants to hear Paul. And Paul comes and preaches to him. And, And what is it that Agrippa says? Even with the preaching of Paul, almost you persuaded me. Almost. That even the best preaching of men does not have the power to convince the heart. That from a, apart from the presence and the power of the Spirit, conversion cannot happen. But God is saying to you, My Word is perfect to come in that power of the Spirit to convert your heart and to continue to renew your mind. You see, this convincing is not a once and momentary thing. It is an ongoing grace in our lives. And the last thing is this humbling. (laughs) To convince, sorry, to enlighten, to convince and to humble us. You might think, isn't that a bit contradictory? How many of us love to be humbled? (laughs) How many of us have been humbled in the presence of others and felt the embarrassment of it? Sometimes it's even when our children say something out loud, they don't know how to whisper things that have gone on in the home or things that they've been told and And they see you doing something that you shouldn't and your child just says, but mommy, daddy, didn't you say that? And and you just feel the redness coming over your face and you realize you've been humbled by a little child 
in the presence of others. And maybe you're thinking again, how's that a good thing? God, in the power of His Spirit and through His Word preached, is trying to humble our hearts before Him. Because when we are humbled, His grace will meet us and will lift us up in His goodness. Isn't that one of the main promises that runs in the Old and New Testament? God humbles the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And you see, the very thing that we need to receive from God, His grace, the very grace that we are longing to have from God, is purpose to meet us in our humility. And that humility that we need is something that God is ever prepared and ever working for us. Because He wants us to know His grace. He wants us to know the sufficiency of His goodness to keep us in all the circumstances of our lives. Whether you are enduring the affliction of ill health or whether you are enduring the humility of children straying, or whether you are enduring the humility or the hardness of life itself in trials and tribulations, in finances and all of those things. It's when we are humbled before the Lord that He says, My grace will come and sustain you and keep you and you will know I am your God. God is working these things. And His Word is purposed to do that for us. Is God's Holy Word the chief desire of your heart? Do you love it and desire it more than gold? That's a big claim. Is it sweet to your soul? When you hear it proclaimed, is your heart saying, it's like honey. Wow, Lord, give me more. It's not about the man. (laughs) It's about the Word. Because God wants you to be filled with the goodness of His Son, the ministry of His Son. Desire it. And ask God to so fill you with His Spirit. Let's pray.